Thank you, Don and Large. Joshua 24 tonight. Uh, they didn't realize that that song goes right with the message. And thankful for that. Always glad to see how God orchestrates things together and we see His hand in it. You know, a lot of times people think, you know, I think Pastor preached that just for me. He's preaching right at me. But they don't ever think that about the singers. I uh, didn't pick that out because I needed that. Yeah. Joshua chapter 24. I don't know how long this will go. I'm not talking about the message tonight, but I'm talking about uh, as far as after. the. I, I want us to look tonight at some things that, that God's given to us in the Bible, looking at some different people in the Bible, some very familiar and well-known, but that can help us move towards experiencing the maximum ministry in our life. And just as we heard sung, God wants us to finish well. He wants us to keep moving on and experiencing all that God has for us. And, and, uh, and we're going to set the stage for this thought out of Joshua 24. Then with the Lord's help, we'll look at David and Ruth and Gideon and Elijah and just different ones that will help us as we continue down this journey of being able to see that I might be different I may not have the same course that somebody else is running, but I have a course. And God's expectation is that we run well and we finish well. And so I want us to take our journey tonight beginning in Joshua chapter 24. And so if we could please let's stand and we'll read beginning in verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house... Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he, he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord... And serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Again, the thought tonight is how can we move toward maximum Christianity? How can we move toward maximum ministry? in our life. And I think Joshua can help us here in this last chapter of the book of Joshua. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Joshua has come to the end of his ministry. God has sent him to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Remember, Moses brought God's people out of Egypt, but Joshua is the one who led them into the promised land. And if you're familiar with Joshua, the book of Joshua, it's about possessing our possessions. It's about being all that God wants us to be. It's about possessing that which God has given to us. Maybe where ground has been forfeited, there has been a lot of emphasis in Joshua on land. Land would be synonymous to the inheritance that God has given to, up, to us and they gave up. They, they forfeited land and, and the inheritance God had given to them and God wanted them to possess their possessions. Now, they have for some years been in the land, conquering the enemies. And yet, Joshua is saying to them, there's still much more land to be possessed. They've not completed everything that God sent them into the land to do. They've achieved many things, yes. They've won many battles, certainly. They have many trophies to show. And yet, God is still speaking to them through Joshua and gives them the greatest challenge of their lives at the end of his ministry. And God challenges the people and he says to them in essence, I want you to go on and be all that God wants you to be. I don't want you to stop where you are. You see, they had conquered many parts of the land. And then they decided and could have decided, we're just going to settle down now. We've done enough. We've achieved many things and many of our goals have come to pass and We've seen a lot of dreams become reality, and now we're just going to stay right here. But God speaks to them through Joshua and challenges them to resist the temptation to become comfortable. Resist the temptation to mediocrity. Resist the temptation of being satisfied. You know, someone said to me one time, you, you preach about finding satisfaction, but then you say, don't get satisfied. Yeah. Yeah, because the only thing you ought to be satisfied with is Jesus. And if you don't get satisfied with Jesus, you're going to find satisfaction in things that will take you away from Jesus, even if you do it in the name of Jesus. As Joshua reminds the people of all the good blessings of God, he tells them in this entire 24th chapter, in the background, how God delivered them from the land of Egypt and how God had saved them with his mighty hand. He reminds them of the goodness of God, the blessings of God, and the way God has continued to work in their lives. And then he challenges them this way. God's not finished with you yet. You've not taken all the land. You've not accomplished your entire race. Your course is not completed your fight is not finished. And so he says, in effect, don't be satisfied with where you are. Don't be a crybaby. That's in the Hebrew in there. I know it's in there. I know it. Go on and be all that God wants you to be. The reason why I landed on this text is because it reminds me exactly where I find myself often, where I believe God has Canaan Baptist Church. God's blessing us in many wonderful ways. God has blessed us in the winning of souls to Jesus Christ. And 
We've seen God's blessing just in the aesthetics of remodeling, and, but more importantly in the reaching of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're at a place where it could be easy to say God's provided our needs, He's met our needs, and now let's just enjoy what God has done. If we wanted to go the easy route, if we wanted to follow the path of least resistance, if we wanted to be self-satisfied, we could just say, let's just stay right here. The decision that we face in our hearts as individuals and as a church family is, are we going to settle for mediocrity? Are we going to settle for the status quo? Or are we going to go on and claim all of our possessions for God's not through with us yet? So many times we stop short of what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. It's easy to say, Lord, you've been so good to us here. And God, you've blessed us here. You've prepared us here and prospered us here. We know what you are going to do here. God, we want to stay right here. We are here. We want to praise you and worship you and serve you. God, we just want to settle in for what we have now because we know exactly where we are. God, we know. We know we can handle where we are. We know that we can achieve where we are. Father, just let us stay right here. It's pretty comfortable. It's like that in the Christian life as well. You reach a plateau in your Christian life where things are going well. You, you've gotten past your crisis. You're not as concerned about seeking God's face because you've gotten out of the trouble. Esau is no longer coming down after you. you, you you're, you're pretty okay that that's not going to turn bad. So you've turned away from seeking God and wanting to hang on to God for a blessing. We're not having real any, any particular problems. We don't have any conflicts in, in the home. And we're just going to enjoy the Christian life. Where we've learned some things that have helped us walk day by day, day in and day out. And, and it's sometimes tempting to say, I'm not going any further. Oh, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to go further. And we can get really sideways and cynical about that. Well, you know, pastor, all he's looking for is just that we be perfect. Since when? I just want what God wants. And what God wants should matter to you, should it not? I said what God wants should matter to you. And so at least there's one, and I know that there's a bunch of others here, but at least there's one, and he is called by God to represent the shepherd that God is, that is, that God is to us. And as the under-shepherd, it is quite important that I recognize God's got more in store for you. That's very important. But it's easy for us to do what the average Christian today is doing. It's easy for us to do what the average Baptist church today is doing. You know, there are many today who have chosen not to go beyond where they are. Too many want to sit down and say, I've had enough. That's all we're going to do. That's all we need to do. God's been good to us. Let's just rejoice in the blessings and stay where we are. By the way, it's safer to do this. It's the sane 
thing to do. Let's not go any further. We don't want to be radical. Yet I don't see faith in the Bible. That's not radical. Not if it's faith that pleases God. But God continually, continually comes to us and, and comes to his people as he did to those here in Joshua 24. And he's saying, don't be satisfied. And he says, don't stay where you are. God says, don't settle for less than what he wants for you. God says, don't settle for what he's done for you in the past. Go on and become all that God wants you to do. I believe God's challenging many people today. I believe many have stayed um, at a certain level. Many have a certain plateau and they have ended their commitment to God. There they've ended what they are going to do. There they've ended what they are willing to expend for the cause of Christ. And they say, well, I'm better than other Christians. I'm better than most church members. God's used my life and I'm going to just stay right here. And, and we can find things even to, to give us uh, uh, reasons for that. Well, family's important. Family is important. Yes, yes, family. Uh, Pastor, do you want my family to go to hell? Family's important. If I don't give time to my family, then, then I am neglecting the, the main priority. So you're going to leave God out of your family? I didn't say anything about neglecting family. You brought it up. Well, if I made it to every activity of the church... I'm just asking some of you just to make it to the big activity of the church called services. Somebody said, well, I make it to almost every service, almost every one, except the ones where you skip. And then you want to do this, well, we just want to please God and we want our family to, to love God. You don't care about your family loving God until you care about you loving God. Well, God says, I've got more in store for you. I believe it's time that we hear the voice of God urging us today as he did through Joshua then. I want you to go on. We need to hear the call of Johnson Oatman Jr. who wrote the words, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to tell you the church that does not hear that. You say, hear what? Did you not hear what I just said? I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining not every year, but every day. That's why we push this emphasis, spend time with God, not once a week, not at the services, but every day of your life. Why? Because God is alive every day. God is waiting for you. God is looking to meet with you. And a church that doesn't hear that, hear what? Mm, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And the church and the Christian that doesn't hear that and the Christian who doesn't hear that call and respond to it is not only going to stay where they are, but they're going to begin to retreat in the Christian life. When God asks us to go on, 
He never asks us to go without something to base our going on on. I want you to understand why God says that we should go on to maturity. Why we should go on to maximizing our ministry and possess all of our possessions and claim all the promises that God's given to us. Notice three things tonight. Verse number 13, he says, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. God is encouraging them, urging them, he's pushing them, he's telling them. And by the way, God didn't come up on a whim with, hey, I'm tricking you in this whole thing called the Christian life. There's more in store and it's not time to settle down. No, he told them all along. He never told them that you're going to settle down and, 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 and retreat or settle down and just whittle your thumbs. No, he told them there's always more in store. There's always more that has to be done. And he's basing this upon, first of all, number one, the demonstration of his care. He's reminding them. I've been caring for you for quite some time. And because of how I've cared for you, because of how I've cared for you in the past, you don't have to be afraid of going forward. Notice how he expresses this. He says, um, I, I, my care has been demonstrated in three ways. One, in the area of prosperity. Two, in the area of protection. Three, in the area of provision. So let's look at those. He's demonstrating his care. He says, first of all, based on the way I have prospered you. He mentions there in verse 13, I've given you land that you didn't labor for. Remember, land represents prosperity. Land represents their wealth, their inheritance. And he says, I've given you land. They had land to graze cattle on. They had land to graze their sheep on. They had land to build houses on. Each of them had an inheritance. Every family of those who stayed faithful to God and went into the promised land, they had what was called a lot. That lot was their inheritance. God prospered them wonderfully. God said, based on the way I loved you and prospered you, I challenge you, now go forward. Be all that God wants you to be. Take all that God has given to you. God has prospered us. Why should we be afraid to go on when we consider how God has prospered us? Just look at our own life. Think about maybe where you might have been 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Think about where you are today. Look at the unbelievable manner in which God has promised you and your family. Many people of 20 years ago, 15, 10 years ago, would have told you where you'd be today just in your, your, your relationship to God. You, you, would have, you wouldn't have believed it. But when you walk with God, you find that he continues to prosper. And I'm not talking about the physical prosperity. While it is true that, that we live in a very prosperous society, but I'm talking about how God is, has given us wealth and riches that is because of his great name, the inheritance of his son. 
Not only does God say you need to go on because he's prospered you, but he says you need to go on because of the way he's protected you. Notice again in verse number 13, he says, And cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Cities were for protection. Cities were to protect the people from the attacks of the enemy. God's protected us just as he has protected Job. Remember how God built a hedge around our lives as, uh, as he did Job and, 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 and our families just as he did Job. And God has even protected our church family. Many things over the years in the history of Canaan Baptist Church could have absolutely destroyed this church and torn our church into pieces and forever ruined the church's witness. But God's hand has stayed upon this divine family of God. God's leadership has been here protecting. Think about the time in your family when an illness may have struck your child. Or think about a time when an illness came to you and God's hand of protection was there. God is simply saying in those times, I'm not finished with you yet. God's protected us. His angels have camped about our homes at night. And God has protected us from the enemy and that which would hurt us. And so God is saying, based on the way I've prospered you and based upon the way I've protected you, how can you be hesitant to go forward and be all that I want you to be? Not only is his demonstration of care evident and his protection obvious, but also in the way he has provided for us. Notice at the end of the verse, he says, of the vineyards, and olive yards, which ye planted not, do ye eat. Vineyards throughout the Old Testament refers to the Holy Spirit. The oil of the olives relates to the whole oil of the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about? He's talking about the miraculous provision of God for our lives. God has provided every single need that we have. Is there actually a need in your life that God's not met? Is there any need in your life that God has not provided? There may be some wants that he's not provided, but there's not a need. We can rejoice with Paul that our God supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, you say, my needs are not being met. It's because you're not meeting the great need of your life then and getting close to God and getting in fellowship with God. He's talking to the people of God who have a heart for God, who are wanting to see God work. And, and if you're seeking that relationship with God and you're in union with Him, you can take it to the bank. None of my needs will be left unsupplied. God's taking care of us. So God says, look at the way I've provided for you. Look at the way I've protected you. Look the way I've prospered you. On the local level, I think about how the Lord's provided for our church. The needs of the staff, the needs we have daily, the needs of the ministry. God's provided for every need we have and most of all, He's provided one of our greatest needs. The presence of the Holy Spirit. When we come together in our prayer meetings, we come together and these services are simply the overflow of what God does in a prayer meeting. 
And let me just, just say, park on that for just a moment, because I know that there's some rumblings about pastor expects us to come to the prayer meeting. No, I just expect you to seek God. And I certainly don't want you at a prayer meeting if you don't know how to be right with God. I tell you, you can come to the prayer meeting and find out how to get right with God. But somebody to, to, to show up just because of status, someone to show up because uh, uh, you're, you're doing it out of uh, frustration, that's not a good way to meet Jesus. No. We had, Mr. Wilson was there last night and, and um, uh, he, he said, who wouldn't want this? Except those who don't really want God. Those who said, oh, no, 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 I, I've had enough. You ever had the waiter or waitress come around want to fill up? No, no, I've had enough. No, we should be like the songwriter wrote, the woman at the well. Here's my cup, Lord, fill it up, Lord. He say, it's filled to the top and then just keep pouring because there's, there's holes in my bucket and we tend to leak. But when someone says, no, I, I've, I've, I've had enough, I, you know, I, I know you can't make it to the races and, and make it to everything that God would have you to make it for. I, I, well, we just lost the air right there, didn't we? I know you're not going to snag every fish in the lake if you're, you're faithful to, to, to seeking him. But I want to tell you, there's something to be said about watching uh, cars go around the track when you could be watching souls get saved and be transported from death unto life. And when one that is carnal and earthly has no eternal value, it does more for your gizzard than seeing some souls saved. That says an awful lot. I wonder what your kids would say if we had your funeral tomorrow. Boy, they sure did love camping. I tell you, we love camping. Well, how about Jesus? I don't know. I heard him usually complain the most on the way to church. When people walk through those doors, they feel, sense, and know there's a difference many times because it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God is saying, based on your demonstration or on my demonstration of my care in your life, why should you hesitate in going forward and making a commitment to go on? So we see that God is urging them to go forward based on the demonstration of his care. But notice in verse number 14, here's another basis for going forward, and that is the demand. Now, this is a bad word. And I kind of wondered if I should have just um, maybe put it on the screen so I don't say it, because sometimes there are certain words, you know, if you say it, it kind of sounds like another word, and it sounds like, and if I don't say it right, somebody may think I'm cussing, and, and, and I don't ever want to come across as saying a bad word. But I didn't get this to Brother Cherry to put up there, so I'm just going to say it. But I hope if I need to spell it, I'll spell it. In, in fact, uh, um, I'll, I'll just give it a, a try. So he says, based upon there are certain things that, that God says that I'm using to, to motivate you to go forward. One is the fact that he's demonstrated that he's never left us. He's cared for us. He's provided for us. He's protected us. He's prospered us. But there's another one, and it's a demand. Well, let's read the verse here first. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. So number two, 
there's a demand for, now you got to listen because I don't want it to, it to sound like anybody say, oh, he said a bad word, and so you listen carefully. But, um, but I, sometimes I, I don't do, uh, Brother Dan, I try to mess up anything that's alliterated, and um, other times it's just there, and so I just keep it there. But here, it is. These, these, this will be alliterated. They're all C's in these. So uh, number two, the demand for commitment. I know, I just, I, I, I'm shocked too that I actually said that. Commitment. People complain, there are people who complain today. They act like I asked them to donate one of their kidneys. He's the one who wrote in here, stop forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And he didn't say Sunday morning. That's not what he said. I understand, I understand people are at different levels. We've had some had just gotten saved. We have some who have just been baptized. We have some who have just started discipleship. I understand people are in different places. But I want to tell you, whether they just got saved, they just got baptized, or they just started discipleship, or if they've been saved for years and completed baptism and discipleship long time ago, the, the problem, the problem is anytime they start start pooching their lip out, crossing their arms and complaining and justifying, justifying why they don't have to be committed to the cause of Christ. That's the problem. Not only does God give us a demonstration of how he's cared for us, but he's challenging his people based upon his demand for commitment. Because God's cared for you. He's prospered you. He's provided for you. He's protected you. And so here's the challenge. He's challenging. You need to be committed. There's a threefold command of commitment here. He says, first of all, fear the Lord. When he says fear the Lord, I, I take this to really en encapsulate this matter of worship. This is the number one thing we must do if we're able to reach new commitment to God and be all that God wants us to be. There needs to be fear of the Lord. Have you ever tried to, to get a lost person to, to um, love God with all of their heart? To get a lost person to get concerned about the souls of people dying and going to hell? That's why a lot of times people who know not the Lord and claim not to know the Lord, they want to come in and they want to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And there's a reason why. They don't have any spiritual sense. And they can't until they recognize their great need is to get saved. And, and, but you try to get a lost person to say, well, don't you care about the souls of man? No, they don't care about the souls of man. They might care about the, the welfare of the social aspects of man, but they don't understand the soul. If they don't understand their own soul's need, why are they going to be burdened about someone else's soul? And so here he's talking, however, to the people of God. And he says to the people of God, if you're going to understand who I am, God, you're not, and if you're going to take serious what I'm saying to you about taking all of your possessions and possessing all of them, going forward with God, being all that you're supposed to be, then you're going to have to understand it's important that first and foremost, you learn what it means to fear the Lord. 
You understand what it means to enter into worship. You enter into his presence because if you are not in the presence of God, spending time imbibing from him, if you're not allowing him to whittle away, if all you do is sit in the service and this is the only time you are confronted, if this is the only time you are heavily in the Bible, if this is the only time your thinking is challenged, you don't fear the Lord. You don't come to church to worship. You should be bringing your worship to church. And when you bring your church to worship or bring to, you bring to church your worship, we're going to worship. But if people who don't fear God just flock in, hey, it's time to, to praise God, worship God. And in most people's mind, that means I sit back and I watch. And that's not the fear and the worship that God speaks of. If we're to possess our possessions, if we're to claim all the promises of God, if we're to rise above the average, the mediocre, the carnal, the fleshly, if we're to be all that God has called us to be, we must learn to worship the Lord. The worship of the Lord is putting our eyes on Jesus Christ. It, it makes us march to the beat of his drum. We must learn how to praise the Lord, magnify the Lord, love the Lord, express our hearts to the Lord, worship the Lord, and, and, and sit at the feet of Jesus. And sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping Him, we come together as a church family and fellowship, and we're bringing that experience of what God's done in our heart, and we bring it in a corporate sense. It's the meaning of fear of the Lord. It's God's demand for worship. God wants us to worship Him. The Bible commands that we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. We'll never be what God wants us to be until we reach the place where we can love him with our being, our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And there have been times in my life I've said, I can't do that. But the bad times in my life is when I've said, I can't do it, Brother Rick. And I was okay with it. But when I've realized, I don't quite know how to do that. But if there's ever a time I want to love him, it's now. And I want him to teach me. I want him to show me. As we sung this morning that surveying the wondrous cross. I can imagine what God thinks about the average worship churches, services and churches across this land. I think of how it must break his heart to see people sleeping in church. How it must break his heart to see people sleeping while his son is being preached and while his son is being worshipped or to see people with their minds on other matters. The difference in churches, the difference in churches is commitment. And God demands a commitment of worship. I think the um, have they gotten have they have they gotten through the final four yet? Are they about worked their way through it? Tonight's the final. Tonight, a team of however many's on a team, and five 
from each team will take the core. A bunch of ten, two handfuls of undisciplined, uncommitted, no athlete, sloppy individual, no drive in this world are going to get out there on center stage and play because they have nothing else to do. No, they all have full rides because they spent a life working to demonstrate they know how to have skills with the ball. And they're going to get out there. They may look like they're playing for one of the prison teams, but they, they still have some athletic ability. And they show a level of commitment because if they don't, somebody else on the bench is ready to step in there and do it. You remember meeting Luke uh, Deal for Auburn, tight end for Auburn who was here. And I asked Luke, I said, you know, here you are, you're starting. Do you have any concern about, about your starting job? He said, every day. Because if I don't go 110%, somebody's always right there waiting. And yet when people, God's people, God's people come to church, they complain about commitment. Commitment. I don't know why we've got those strings up there. Pastor just wants to make our family miserable. Do you know what happens when you take a rock and you throw it into a pack of dogs? The one that gets hit is going to yelp. And when you say, I, I just, I just, I know, I know, I know more, I know, I know better. I, 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 we've, we've got it, we've, we've, we've got the corner on this. Um, I'll teach them how to ride a dirt bike and I'll teach them how to fish. And we're going to teach them because we're going to have family bonding. But, you know, we don't want this. All you're saying is you don't want to be a parent. You just don't want a parent. No, my kids, they don't, they don't know. They, they, they just don't want to play. They don't like playing. No staff should it be an option when it comes to this. No one who wants to be successful should it be an option. You say, I haven't prayed about it. I don't even think there's, I didn't pray about it. No, God made it clear, here's what we need to do if we're going to move on. You say, you want to have just a great sound? No, I want to have solid dedicated Christians. And music is a way. Not the way, a way. So is math. So is English. Kind of, but... Um, because the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with commitment and all thy might. And what we're trying to do is find ways in which... There, there's, there, there can be a person recognizing God has more in store for me. God has more in store for me. God has more in store for me. And with the help of God, we can see it happen. Not only does he demand commitment when it comes to worship, but then he also demands commitment when it comes to work. That's another dirty four-letter word. Notice verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. As the body of Christ, we're to serve the head. 
The head tells the hands and the feet what to do. My hands are to serve my head. My feet are to serve my head. My head directs my entire body. Our head is Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that there's a demand for work. We are to serve him. We are living in a service oriented society where people are used to going downtown or going wherever and being served. They go to shopping centers. And it's difficult for 20th and first century Christians living in America to realize the concept of New Testament Christianity of not being served, but serving. That's what we're here to do. We're here to serve Jesus. We're here to serve one another. We're here to serve a lost and dying world. And here's a demand to work. It requires work to, for a church to, to grow for the glory of God. And I'm not talking about in, in numbers. If we're focusing strictly on numbers, we do things different. We're talking about in depth. We're talking about in walking with God and the journey of relationship with God. It is because it takes W-O-R-K. It takes work. It takes work in church visitation. It takes work for Sunday morning services and Sunday school, Bible fellowship, and being a, a table leader and outreach and but we reach the point where we're just interested in the kind of church that's going to serve us, work for us, meet our needs. Then we've left the realm of God's blessing upon us because God blesses his work. God blesses service. Jesus was a worker. In John chapter 9, he says, my father sent me, I've come to do his work. And there's a time where the night's coming and nobody's going to be able to work. So get to work. Jesus knew what it was to sweat and to work. Many churches today have only one service on Sunday morning. Why? Because they're trying to convenience the people. Everything is to meet the whims of people. I believe we're, we are a growing uh, um, in, in, in this culture to, to satisfy those that have become spiritually lazy. God can't bless that. No wonder the world is dying and going to hell. Few people want to work anymore. Friday nights. Uh, that's, that's, that's my only time to really get out. And, and, and yet I understand uh, Jim and, and his wife, they get out there on the square on Friday nights. And are there any lost people out there? Yeah, they're out there. They're everywhere. I think any night of the week would be good. Have you ever, as a family, said, let's just go around to our neighborhood and just pass out tracks? And before you start criticizing, why don't you see who it is you're working for? To enlist Sunday school teachers, most churches, you've got to beg people because you've inconvenienced them. We're going to have to spend some time in preparation. Some things are going to be required. It's a challenge. It takes work. Not only is the demand for worship and work, but he's also giving a demand here for witness. Notice again in verse number 14, he says at this latter part of the verse, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve 
ye the Lord. He's talking about purity in our lives. And I'm convinced though in my heart, we need a revival of holiness. We need a revival of purity, of a cleansing of the people of God. If, if what you call your salvation experience, in your salvation experience, if it did not include you putting away some of the gods of this world and serving God out of a pure heart, then you mark it down, you didn't have real salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a little bit better of a creature. No, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God says, I want you to go on. Don't stay where you are. Don't be satisfied with what you already have been given. Don't be satisfied with the land that you've already conquered. There's more to conquer. Go on and be everything that I want you to be. There's a third thing I want you to see. Not only is there a demonstration of his care, not only is there a demand for commitment in our life, but number three, he mentions there's a decision of certainty. A decision of certainty. Notice in verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we're going to be all that God wants us to be, there needs to be a decision of certainty. If you've plateaued where you are, and you feel yourself sliding backward in the Christian life, all that is going to turn you around is a decision of certainty. This is a message to people, remember, who have already been the people of God, who have already fought battles for God and won battles, people who have already conquered much land. And here he's not talking to a lost world. He's saying to the people of God, I'm calling you to a new commitment. I'm calling you to a new decision. And here's the decision. He says, you can serve the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or you can serve me. When he talks about serving the gods on the other side of the river, I see in that tradition. Tradition. That's where many churches are today. There's some churches, if you don't sing the doxology in some church, they think that the world has come to an end because of tradition. In some churches, they think if you let out one minute past 12 o'clock, you violated some Bible principle. But they don't usually carry a Bible, so they wouldn't know where to find it anyway if it was there. There are many people who have the church tradition mixed up with Bible truth. We must never be more loyal to our church traditions than we are to the truth of God's Word. I'm going to stick with the Word of God. I cannot go along with those who preach and teach that the Old Testament is a legend or a myth or mere folklore and not literal history like a lot of pastors in certain denominations in this county preach. I cannot walk with those who contend that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not the literal Word of God. No, the written Word of God, it is inerrant. And I contend that what we believe about the Word of God, the Bible, is extremely important. 
See, we can't serve the gods of tradition and go on for God at the same time. We can't serve the gods of our fathers that our fathers served, doing the things the way our fathers did it because it was tradition. We must take and recognize that if our fathers did what they did because of truth, then we ought to emulate, then let us do what we do because of truth, not because simply of tradition. Because we can become soft. We can become comfortable with that kind of doctrine and we can die on the vine because we're going to hold to our tradition. He says, so here's one of your choices. You can hang on to tradition. And some people call it, this is our culture. It's our culture. Well, I understand there's culture. We've, we've been trying to get Brother Cherry acclimated to the South for quite some time because there's a difference on which side of the Mason-Dixon line you've spent time on. It's a cultural difference. The Imondis are still trying to figure out what state they're in. He knows he's not in Kansas anymore. And I mean, culture, it, it, there's cultural differences. Food is different in, in different cultures. I'm I'm, and I'm talking about just the white people uh, and north and south. And then when you bring in other ethnicities, there's different cultures. But do you know what transcends every culture? Sure you do. So why are you going to hang on to tradition over truth? Mm -hmm. Somebody asked on, on a periodical basis, depending upon their ethnicity, what kind of church are you trying to build around here? Well, I'm not. Because somebody else is doing it. And he promised us a couple thousand years ago that he would. His name is Jesus. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And if he's going to build it, why would I step in? Amen. Brother Jerry does some things around here. He's got drills and hammers and all kinds of stuff going on. I've never one time asked him if I could help him with his building because I don't know how to do it. We had this man card we were given at the men's advance and they went through these questions and give up your man card if. I was always a nuance away from giving mine up. I think the very first question was, if you've ever asked your wife how to use a measuring tape, turn in your man card. And I thought, I don't think I've ever asked her how to use a measuring tape. But I have asked, but they didn't say it this way, but I have asked, can I use your measuring tape? Because I don't have one. <laughs> In fact, I don't even have a toolbox. The Johnsons came over and helped me unload this huge toolbox. What do you think that thing weighed? Several hundred pounds and um, took it off the bed of my truck and I couldn't do it by myself. So they did. That was, it was a thing just to watch them do that and work together in just a matter of moments. And, and people have come in and they'll walk into the garage and say, that is a fine tool. It's a big old massive toolbox. It's Christie's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't own a tool. And um, I've heard more than once, leave my tools alone. If you use my tools, put them right back. And so, but we digress. We very much digress here. And um, I have no idea where I am. Where did we get to? Where? Building, 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 building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. 
What kind of church are you trying to build around here? Well, I'm not. He is. Well, I, I mean, I mean what, are, you, are you wanting it to be uh, just a bunch of white people? Or, or, or what, what about uh, the, the, the black people? What about the, the, the brown people? And I say God put us here, and there's people around us. It is God's will for everybody to be saved. It's God's will for every saved person to be reached. And I think we ought to have a New Testament church, and we can go to the book of Acts, and we can see ethnicity after ethnicity and color after color, uh, all in the same church. You know how that happens? When truth triumphs over tradition. Second, he says, you can serve the gods of this world You can serve the gods of the Amorites in in whose land he dwell. So he says, you can make a decision. You're going to make a decision. Is it going to be tradition or is it going to be truth? And second, he says, you've got to make a decision. You've got to be certain in this decision. You're going to serve the world? See, many Christians are doing that. They're serving the gods of this world. They're serving the God of success, the God of money, the God of power, the God of pride. They've been caught up in the things of this world and they're serving the gods of the Amorites. What happened to the people of God? The people of God, they moved into the land and rather than being a witness for God and winning those people, those people began to influence the very people of God. You remember Abrahamic covenant. I, I, I clearly remember going back well, I don't know, Dr. Childs, I see. Um, I, it, it may have been like 92, 1992, sitting in class and hearing Dr. Childs. He's a master to me dealing with the Old Testament. And I remember always thinking that God chose the tiny nation of Israel. And um, it just, he just did. And, and so there's just peculiar blessings to the nation of Israel. And everyone else just kind of, you just have to accept it. And that's just the way it is. But one of the things that just unlocked everything for me and was an awakening moment. I remember sitting in the class after Dr. Childs walked in. uh, You you know how he walked in the class? Every single class. He'd have this briefcase. He'd come into class and every class started with the slamming of a door. He just slammed the door. And so that's how we knew class begins. And um, and walks in and and we jump jump right in. And when he would teach then, uh, there were many, he, he didn't really teach, he preached. And his preaching contained teaching. That's why there were people who got saved in Bible doctrine class. He'd give an invitation after preaching, but he'd stand on the piano bench. Uh, He's jumped off the piano bench many a time. And and so it was always, you never knew what what you're going to get. He still slams the doors, but he doesn't jump off the piano bench. But, But when we saw the Abrahamic covenant, that God chose this tiny nation of Israel about the size of the state of New Jersey, He lavished all of his blessings, his love, and his care. But he told that little nation of people, now you go and reach all the people of the world. And rather than being a witness everywhere they went, they were affected by the ones that they were to bring to Jehovah God. How true that is for us as well. I want to tell you, the longer you've worked at a place, 
and you haven't been a witness, it's hard to find a, a starting spot. The longer you've lived at a house and you've not been a witness, it's hard to mess things up now. But let me tell you how to go about it. When you go to work, you, you go see that customer, you, you go through that routine, or you go to your neighbor. Why don't you start with, God's dealt with me. I've not been in a very effective witness. He's changed my life. And I haven't been very good at letting you see that or know that. But I want to tell you today that God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants to change your life as well. I want to tell you, if there's ever a tendency to tell a dirty joke in your presence, it'll probably be different after that. But God's people got comfortable. And when they got comfortable, they ended up serving the gods of the world. The people of God became like the people of the world instead of the other way around. They began to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land they dwell. We do the same. Some are going through the motions of religion. You're going through the rituals of religion. But the motions and the rituals is not changing your life. There's no power of God. There's no breath of the Holy Spirit. There's no life-changing power. There's no witness. There's no compelling drive to get out and reach people for Jesus. I'll tell you, nobody probably, probably, in my estimation, nobody passes out as many tracts as Freddie. And Freddie is making a statement from the very, very beginning of ever walking into a place. You'll never have to, when Freddie loses his mind and Pam calls and says, we don't know where Freddie is, we've lost him, we're just going to follow the trail of the smileys. We'll find him somewhere. (laughs) But he's making it known that he's here to influence those around him rather than being influenced by the culture of the world. Serve the gods of this world six days a week and come to church on Sunday? That's not what God has in mind. I want to tell you, by the way, and that's easy to do. It'd be far easier as a preacher to be that kind of preacher and to preach in that kind of a church and to live in that kind of an ivory tower and just just prop you up to serve the God of this world and just come to church one day a week. But if that's the choice we make, then we're never going to conquer the land. We're never going to possess what God wants us to have. And so your your third choice is this. If you want to serve tradition, you can't serve the Lord. If you're going to serve the gods of the Amorites in this world, you can't serve the Lord. But he says, here's the third choice at the end of the verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the demand for commitment. It's a decision of certainty. It's personal. You have to make it a personal choice. Nobody can choose to go on for God for you. You're the only one who can make a choice and make that commitment. Whatever the church decides to do as a body, it's still going to have to be up to individuals to imbibe it. It's still going to require you making a choice. One of the problems we have is that sometimes the church makes a decision and people don't make that commitment in their own personal lives because it requires a personal choice. 
Joshua is saying, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going to go on and be all that God wants me to be. Many folks haven't even made a commitment to tithe, much less give of themselves or go over and above their tithe and give their hearts to serve God with all that they are. It's a personal commitment. Daniel Webster was going to be a lawyer and of course he became a famous lawyer and a noted legislator. But he was told when he was young, a young man, not to go into the practice of law because that field was already overrun by lawyers. And he answered, quote, I know it, but there's plenty of room at the top, end of quote. See, when it comes to the commitment of God's people, there's plenty of room at the top. I believe that God is challenging us individually to go on and be all that he wants us to be. The question is, are you willing to pay the price to rise above the average, to rise above the mediocre? I, I, I tell you what motivates me. It's not because of my salary. It's not because of the, 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 the perks. It's not because of the, the physical monetary things because none of that, none of that is going to translate into transformation in my children's lives. One of the things that motivates me is that whatever I do for God, it's got to be personal. It's got to be powerful. Because if my kids are going to want that God in their life, then they're going to have to see there was something real. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Could your kids look in your life and taste and see God is real in my mom and dad? I'm glad for what God's doing in and some parents here and grandparents and some who have been married a long time as they're on a, on a revival journey and they're finding those higher planes each day. They're finding God to be sweeter than he was the day before. It's got to be a personal choice. But not just personal, but he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, I think it has to be positive as well. Joshua is saying, I don't care what anybody else does. If everybody else turns their back, if everybody else is satisfied, if everybody else sits down, if everybody else says, I'm not going to do it, Joshua says, we're going to do it. I've yet to take a vote on whether or not we're going to love God. I've yet to vote on whether or not we're going to believe the Bible. No, we're going to do it. It's a personal, it's a positive, but it's also public. It's a public decision. Everyone was influenced by Joshua's decision. His family was influenced, all of Israel was influenced, and people are influenced by our lives either for God or for Satan, for good or for bad. We need to challenge one another, motivate one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to build a fire under one another. We need to stir up one another in a positive way. Because what I do affects you. Did you know that? If I decide I'm not spending time with God, it will affect you. You may never know it. I may never get up and say, I'm doing what I'm doing for the cause of Satan. But I have just aided his cause. 
If I cut corners in my life, it affects you. And if you cut corners in your life, it affects you, your family, and everyone that you influence. See, God wants to do more, but we're going to have to make a challenge. We're going to have to seize the challenge and be willing to make a commitment. But then one other thought here is that in this decision of certainty, it needs to be prompt. Notice again at the end of the verse here as we finish. And let's go ahead and stand together and and look at this. Notice in verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. In other words, if that's what you're complaining about. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Choose you when? This day. You know that there's always urgency with God? Have you ever witnessed to somebody and say, come to Christ soon? I don't think I've ever used that terminology. Come to Christ next week. And we invite the lost to come to Christ now. We urge the lost, come to Jesus today. There's an urgency about people being saved. There's an urgency about the work of God. There's an urgency about the Christian life. And if you don't become what God wants you to be today, then the chances are you may never become what God wants you to be tomorrow. See, when we're witnessing to people to get saved, we don't really think about the fact that what if they say, oh, I don't want to get saved because I don't want to feel like I just got pressured into doing it. I can't pressure anybody to get into heaven. I'm just trying to get them to see the urgency. You die in the next five seconds. You will go to hell. You choose. Everyone has the the option to choose. No one has the option to not choose. But how many times have I heard somebody say, I made a decision during the meeting, made a decision at camp, I made a decision in the pastor's office. And you know, once I got home, I, I began to think, I think I just was, it was just emotion. I just, I just got caught up in the emotion. I just was pressured. I just was, and Joshua says, then you choose. But you choose today. And do you know what happens when tonight ends and it clicks over till Monday? God says, You choose today. Every day we choose. There's a drastic urgency. It's time to fall on our faces before God. It's now or it's never. Always with God. Lord, I do thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for challenging my heart. I want to maximize every opportunity in serving you with the breath that I have, with the life that you've given to me. If I had a few more lives to do over, maybe I would ignore some of these passages. But I'm pretty convinced I only have one life and I don't get a do-over. And so what I do for you must be done now. And I I pray that you'd help us and help my friends here this evening and our church family to get as serious about us as you are about us serving you. So work now, I pray. Speak to our hearts in a deeper way. Lord, I prepared it. I set it out there. But I can't chew it and swallow it for them. So you, Holy Spirit of the living God, 
Would you take us all the way with you? As the piano plays, would you do business with God?